0: This is Alan Levitt with the first edition of Fast Horses, a podcast about harness racing, horse people, and life in general. And I think it's appropriate to start this podcast with a story about one of the great horsemen of all time. I'm speaking about of uh, the Lone Ranger, the masked man uh, who figured in all of our childhoods so dramatically. And this story, which is perhaps apocryphal, uh, concerns the Lone Ranger who was captured by hostile Indians. And of course, as far as that's concerned, any Indians would be hostile to him. And the hostile Indians, having captured him, have told him that they are going to put him to death. But instead of doing it immediately, they're going to do it in three days, and on each of the th- these 3 days they're going to give him one wish which will be granted first day they ask him what's your wish mask man and he says i want to speak to my horse okay he goes over speaks to the wh- whispers in the horse's ear the horse listens and then gallops away several hours later the horse comes galloping back, and there's a beautiful blonde sitting in the saddle. Second morning, same question, "What? Do you, what's your wish? And the same answer, speak to my horse. Goes over to the horse, whispers in his ear, and the horse goes galloping off once again. Several hours pass, and he returns with a beautiful brunette in the saddle. Third morning, they say, this is your last Day of life. This is your last wish. Uh, what is it? And again, he says, I want to speak to my horse. Okay. Goes over to the horse, whispers in his ear, and then wraps him smartly on the face and says, Look, stupid. Get it straight this time. This is my last chance. I said, Bring posse. All right. Now that we've gotten that done, Let's talk about some basic horsemanship, since the breeding and the foaling season have both begun. I have to say that it kills me whenever I see a picture of a foal without a halter on its head. Properly, you should put a halter on a foal the first morning of its life. That's simply good horsemanship, And it should be a rule that wherever the dam of the foal is led, the foal is led also. It's very, very easy to do. You snap a lead rope into the halter ring of the foal, and for the first few days, uh, you'll use a butt rope, which is just exactly what it sounds like, a rope around the rump of the horse and you give him a gentle pull with that, it takes them no time at all to catch on to it. And from then on, they're so easy to catch, they're so easy to handle. And it's simply good horsemanship to do it that way. When you don't lead the foal, they go running hither and thither, they get themselves into trouble, they get themselves hurt, there's just no reason to let that happen. And one man or woman can very easily lead a mare and foal. And once you've started doing this, those foals are very easy to catch out in the, in the paddock or the pasture when you're ready to bring them in. Now, it's also the breeding season, which means stallions. And um, I have to say that virtually everyone Uh, Keeps stallions the wrong way. Uh, Howard Weisinger always told me that the closer to nature you can get, the better you're doing things with horses. And in nature, you have one stallion with a band of mares. And any other males that happen to be as part of that group become like geldings. They lose all of their libido, and um, they simply hang around by themselves. And the stallion is with the mares, and that's it. The right way to keep stallions is out of sight and sound of another stallion, and they should be kept surrounded by mares. Um, Everybody that I know in the standard bread or the thoroughbred business who has more than one stallion keeps them together in the same barn, and that is a huge mistake. As an example of why you should stick to nature instead of doing it the way everyone does it, a number of years ago, there was a trotting stallion named Nearly Perfect. Uh, he'd been a very good racehorse. As I remember, he beat Mr. Um, Maclow Bell a few times. But when he went into the stud, He wasn't a good—he was a shy breeder. He was originally kept in a barn with several other stallions. But at one point, uh, the manager of the farm realized that that was the wrong way to keep him, and he kept—he removed nearly perfect from the stallion barn, put him in another barn where he was surrounded by mares— Put him in a paddock where he was where he had mares on both sides of him, and there were no stallions within sight or sound of him, and his fertility and his libido uh, improved immensely um, i don 't know why nobody catches on to this it 's a simple thing it certainly isn 't that hard to implement um, but I have a feeling that this will fall on deaf ears and stallions will continue to, to be together in stallion barns, which is the wrong way to keep them, but it's the way it's always been done, which becomes the basis for always doing it the, that way, even though it's the wrong way. Now, if I'd like to talk a little bit about racing, which is a major preoccupation of mine. First, um, there's the matter of dragging. I think uh, most people realize that dragging is the term for holding the horses um, before they go to the gate after the clock has has reached zero. Dragging has become a self-fulfilling prophecy. The racetracks tell you if they didn't drag, they wouldn't handle as much money the fact is the biggest betting race in North America and for all I know in the world is the Kentucky Derby and at the Derby when the clock strikes zero minutes to post they're loading the horses into the starting gate by dragging which is to say the clock goes to zero minutes to post and then you wait three minutes, four minutes, five minutes, six minutes. God knows, it seems like uh, an hour in some places. That's a direct attack on the integrity in in- on the integrity of our racing. Uh, there's no reason for it, and it should it really should be eliminated by the racing commissions. But um, the racing commissions are very reluctant to interfere with the racetracks on a matter such as this, Um, so it's tolerated. But it's wrong, and we shouldn't have it. And again, as I say, we talk about the integrity of our racing product. As long as we have dragging, uh, we don't have integrity. There's also the question of clenbuterol. Clenbuterol is a decongestant. for horses. It has been used for years and years by standardbred trainers um, who whenever a horse comes back from a training or a race with congestion in his throat you could use clenbuterol for two or three days and his throat would be cleared up and he the horse was ready to race again the following week. Uh, and it was, it's, it, was imp- it was particularly useful when you were in a situation that there was an elim- there were eliminations a week out from a big final. Now it turns out that if you uh, hit a horse hard with clambuterol for some length of time, you can create an anabolic steroid effect. There has never been a, a, a recorded instance of a standard bred having had that done to him. Part of the reason is that our horses race on a weekly basis, and so there isn't time, if you wanted to, to uh, pound him enough with clambuterol to get a steroidal effect. Now, um uh, That doesn't apply to the quarter-horse people, Um, and as a generality, the quarter-horse people are the ones that come up with all kinds of terrible things they do to their horses, and um, pounding them with combuterol is one of them, but because it can have a steroidal effect if it is misused— we are now unable to use clenbuterol in harness racing. Um, the cutoff date for using it is something like 11 days or 12 days. makes it impossible to use. And our horses suffer as a result of that. Um, the answer that a technocrat will give you is that if you can't use clenbuterol, you can use some, an alternative treatment called al- albuterol. The only problem with albuterol is to use it properly, you have to give it three times a day, equally spaced, and that means one of those doses has to be administered at midnight, and that makes it an, imposs- an um, impossibility. People have tried to use it, but it, they've never succeeded with it because they aren't able... To they aren't able to stay awake or wake themselves back up and come back out to the barn at midnight to give the horse um, his midnight dose of it. So that's the clambuterol caper, as we say in the detective trade. Um, And uh, we we in harness racing are being punished for the sins of the other breeds. Um, Incidentally, I did read that with all the thoroughbred trainers that were recently indicted for drugging, when their horses were tested, every single one of those horses showed that showed positive for clambuterol. So the thir- all these big-name trainers knew about clambuterol, knew the effect that it could have. Their horses race every month or so, so they had plenty of time to pound them with it, and get the steroidal effect, but we in harness racing pay the price for their crimes. Then there's the subject of Lasix. Um, I know a little bit about this subject because some years ago when I was on the Kentucky Racing Commission, uh, we we, we had a presentation made by Dr. Alice Stagg, who at that time was a teaching at the University of Michigan Vet School, and she was an Irish woman, but uh, who was the acknowledged expert on bleeding and Lasix. Um, I was fortunate enough to get to know her, and she gave me a, a good tutorial when it comes to Lasix and bleeding the fact is every horse when physically stressed will bleed to a greater or lesser extent in his lungs and when he bleeds that junk goes up into his throat and it uh, interferes with his breathing process and if he can't get his air of course he can't race at uh, his full strength LASIK's given four hours out from a race will, to a greater extent, eliminate bleeding in the lungs. Lasix has gotten a lot of bad publicity, and it's been blamed in the thoroughbred business for the many fatal breakdowns that they have, and Lasix has absolutely nothing to do with it. Lung bleeding has nothing to do with the fatal breakdowns. And on that subject, fatal breakdowns, there is no recorded instance at the USTA or any place else of a standard bred suffering a fatal breakdown in a race. Um, the closest statistic that I was able to find is that one in 70,000 starts could result in a fatal breakdown. Um, I asked John Campbell who drove in more races than anyone if he had ever driven a horse that suffered a fatal breakdown and he said there was one horse you might have said that that was what happened but he really couldn't define it uh, that way and his experience was supported what my research was that it didn't happen in our business. As far as the thoroughbreds go, they're very fragile, and there are going to be fatal breakdowns with them, whether they get Lasix or not, no matter what you give them, no matter what you do. They're a fragile breed. They've been breaking down for decades, centuries for all I know, and they're going to continue doing it, and... It's true at every thoroughbred race meeting uh, in North America that there are fatal breakdowns every month, and they're going to keep happening, and there's nothing that anybody can do to stop it. But Lasix is um, now being banned uh, in harness racing as well as thoroughbred racing, and – Even that has a great deal of hypocrisy with it. Um, Here in Kentucky and some other places too, I guess, uh, now you can't use Lasix on a two-year-old, and you can't use it on a steak horse, but you can use it on an overnight horse. I mean, what what logic does that support? Absolutely none. it's recog- it's it's a recognition that if you don't give it to thoroughbreds, uh, you won't have overnight racing. Um, so it's allowed for them, but it's not allowed for two-year-olds or for steak horses. Um, and um, the what what banning Lasix uh, leads to in Europe. They, they have never allowed the use of Lasix uh, on a racehorse, although a lot of horses there train on it. But when they, to compensate for the lack of Lasix, they do something called drawing. Drawing means taking the water away from a horse 24 hours before the race, denying an animal water for 24 hours is truly inhumane but that is what they do when they can't use lasix and that's what's going to happen here if it isn't already happening because that's the most common way to compensate for a a horse that bleeds and and they all bleed and by the way you have to understand that bleeding refers to bleeding in the lungs which you can only detect with a scope put down into the lungs. Um, it has nothing to do with blood from the nostrils. Uh, that does occur, but when it does, it's because a blood vessel in the nostril passages has broken, and that has nothing to do, that has nothing to do with LASIKs um, or what we call bleeding, what we define as bleeding. Um, just one final thing about thoroughbreds. Um, in the paddock before the Kentucky der- the last Kentucky Derby, which Baffert naturally won, seems to win everything, but he had an entry and the second half of his entry didn't get uh, into the race because he threw himself down in the paddock. A horse throws himself to get away from pain in his mouth. Um, I learned that when I was 10 years old and riding uh, my show pony, Smooth Sailing. Um, my father's trainer told me that whenever you, I got off the pony and was going to lead her, I should unhook the curb chain because if you took hold of the ring at the bottom of the curb bit and put any pressure on it, it would tighten that curb chain, and that's when she, if, if you did that to her, she would flip. That's exactly what happened to Bafford's horse. Um, the thoroughbred people are, well, b- they treat their horses as if they're uncontrollable, at times, and they—I mean—chains over their over their upper gum, in their mouth, God knows where, and obviously that horse was at, that horse of Baffert's was getting away from the pain in his mouth, uh, which was man-made when he flipped. Um, for what that's worth. Um, Now you know. Okay, I think that's enough for this week. Uh, I'll be back next week with um, more interesting items, I hope. Uh, One of the things I want to talk about since it's the start of the breeding season is how you should go about picking the stallion you breed to. But that's for next week. For the meantime, this is Alan Levitt at fast horses. I'm signing off. Keep those masks on, everybody, and stay safe.